This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business. Well, hey, everybody, I am here live at the NEO Summit or the Nonprofit Innovation and Optimization Summit. And I've got some great guests here with me that are joining me on the show. I've got Tim Kachuriak, Mallory Erickson, Bruce Soy. Andrew Olson, and Gabe Cooper. So this is going to be really a fun uh, interview with each one of them. And if you haven't been to this conference, I really highly recommend it. It's been fantastic. We're in day one right now, but I've already learned a bunch. And you're going to learn a lot from some of these key speakers that were some of the keynote speakers here at this NEO conference. So I'm going to start out with Tim Kachuriak. Tim, thanks so much for joining us and thanks for being on the show today. This is your brainchild, I understand. So talk a little bit more about what this summit is all about and how many years have you done this? So, so the idea of this conference was really birthed by being frustrated with a lot of nonprofit events because like, I mean, I've been going to these for 20 years and it's like a lot of the same old, same old dingy hotel ballrooms. And it's like same old speakers year after year. And I go to these for-profit marketing conferences all over the world and I meet these people that are doing bleeding edge stuff. And I'm like, you need to come and speak to my nonprofit community. They're like, well, you got to pay our big speaker fees. And I'm like, all right, deal. And so we've been doing that for like eight years now and it just keeps getting better and better. Okay, now what is the biggest takeaway you want the attenders of this summit to leave with from the NEO Summit? I think the biggest thing that I always want people to leave with is just like this insatiable curiosity, right? This, this, like, this, this idea of optimism where anything is really in fact possible and we don't have to be the judge of what works and what doesn't. We can allow the donors to be the true experts by taking some of these new ideas that we take from this conference and put them to the test in the marketplace and allow the donors to tell us what works based on their behavior. Well, one of the things you talked about today was generosity equals participation. And you really talked about how nonprofit leaders really need to make their donor journey as easy as possible. Talk more about this. Why is this so important? Well, I, I think that we have, we, because we are not our customer, meaning we are not our donors, right? The fundraiser is not the donors. We have like just this, I guess, distorted view of reality. Like we think that the world look, works like a funnel where you just go pour people into your website from various different sources and expect that gravity is going to do all the work and people are naturally going to come out as donors at the bottom. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work that way, right? And it's because like people do not want to give away their money. It is not like a natural reaction that most people have. And so we say, no, it's not like, it's not like a funnel. It's more like a mountain. And your donor has to overcome gravity, which means the organic forces of the marketplace that are pulling them away from giving, right? And especially when, again, I mentioned that we're competing against like the, these consumer brands that have like billions and billions of dollars to spend on marketing saying, buy my product, feed whatever sort of desire you have inside you today, and we can go meet that need. And we have to say, no, 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 actually like go and give to some organization where someone else receives the benefit. I mean, it's a really tough sell to do. And so I, what I think the fundraiser needs to do is really be in a position to be empathetic with the perspective of this uninitiated donor. They need to help them climb this donor mountain. 
All right, well, I had a guest on my show and she talked all about how to future-proof your fundraising, how to future-proof your fundraising. And in other words, how do you anticipate the problems and challenges that we'll be facing, say, in six months, a year or more, and then proactively make the necessary changes now? So from your experience, Tim, how best can nonprofit leaders really future-proof their fundraising? Okay, that is exactly why the majority of the speakers we bring to the Nonprofit Innovation Optimization Summit come from the for-profit space because the for-profits are usually six to 10 years ahead of wherever we are at. And so, and the cool thing is, is because they have those billions of dollars to go train the marketplace to go buy a certain way, then we can kind of like come in the wake of that and say, oh, but you can also give in a certain way too, right? So, that's one of the cool things about being in the nonprofit space is that we really get to drafts off of what happens in the for-profit space. Okay, what are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector? Perhaps not just financially, but just overall, in your opinion. Well, I think the, the biggest challenges that we've been facing for quite some time is the fact that we live like hand to mouth, right? So like most nonprofit organizations think in like the aspect of like a 12-month cycle, the annual fund, if you will, right? And what that means is if that's the only way that I view my organization and my performance in terms of fundraising and donor acquisition, all these things that we're supposed to care about, that means that I'm very, very short-sighted and I'm going to make decisions that are going to probably lead to some success today, but are probably actually like negative for my long-term sustainability as an organization. So we try to like really retrain the way nonprofit leaders and especially boards think about sustainability in terms of fundraising. Well, Tim, thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, Dr. Rob, anytime, my man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So I've got Mallory Erickson here with us. She's the podcast host of What the Fundraising, and she's also a speaker, and she's one of the keynote speakers here at the NEO Summit. Great to have you on the show today, Mallory. So nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, donor engagement. You mentioned today in your talk that donor engagement is the intersection of connection and actions. Talk about that more. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So I, you know, we talk about donor engagement so much in our sector and I have really been sitting with what, what does that actually mean? Like, what is donor engagement about? What are we trying to measure? What does it tell us? And so I really look at that engagement as the connection between, or as a measurement of our connection between the donor and the organization and their responsiveness essentially to an invitation that we make to them. So their engagement level is determined by how connected they feel to us and how responsive they are to the invitations that we make to them to get involved. And so I think those two pieces for me help me think about, okay, how are we designing our invitations? And how are we building connection? And connection is the long game. And the invitations are the calls to action and opportunities that we're giving along the road. But sometimes I think we sacrifice that long game for the short game. And so for me, really thinking about those two components, connection and action to combine to be about engagement, help like balance the duality of it. Well, then you've talked a lot about that donor behavior is a response. And there's certainly a lot going on in a donor's heart and mind. So how can best fundraisers proactively and effectively navigate donor behavior in order to increase their fundraising impact? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think the first piece is that all behavior is a response, right? It's like our behaviors happen. And this is what I talked about in my talk 
from Dr. B.J. Fogg when these three things happen in the exact same moment. We have enough motivation to do something. We have the the ability to do something and we're prompted to do that thing. So the prompt, that prompt piece is really, we are responding to a prompt and we are always responding to prompts, whether we realize it or not. Like even Dr. Fogg talks about flossing our teeth. And if we've built that habit, then essentially brushing our teeth is the prompt to floss our teeth, right? And so we're consistently being prompted to take actions in our lives. And I think a lot of times in fundraising, we talk about our donor's behavior as if it's disconnected from our actions. We're like, our donors like this thing, or our donors do this thing. And we don't look at it in in connection to what we have done as fundraisers. So a lot of times, I'm sure you've heard this too, you know, a fundraiser will tell me like, our giving has gone down over, you know, the last few months. And my first question is, have you communicated the way you typically have communicated? Have you made the same amount of invitations for people to give? Have you given people the same opportunities? Like to me, I I don't want to compare your giving data without looking at your behavioral data because it doesn't actually mean anything by itself. And so, and like I said in my talk, you know, we say like our donors like to give at end of year. And I'm like, do we know that? Like we ask them at end of year. I just am not convinced that we have looked at the data of our behavior in connection to the donor's behavior enough to truly understand that. And so that's really when I think about, you know, for organizations who are like, okay, how do I improve my behavior to inspire the donor behavior that I want? That's where, first of all, that's where testing can really come in. That's where looking at your behavioral and tracking your behavioral data can be really important, right? So if you're saying, okay, we're noticing these trends in donor behavior, connect that to your behavior. Like, what are you doing differently? What are some different actions that you're taking? How have things shifted? Of course, context around situations matters. And the, I'm not saying that like the economic environment doesn't impact things, but I think we, we you know, get into this mode where we're like, okay, it's a hard economic time. It's inappropriate to ask right now. And so we don't ask. And then we blame it on the economic time. And we've removed the fact that actually we didn't ask the way that we did the previous year. And that might've been the biggest indicator of their behavior, not the economic climate. And so we oftentimes like our own actions become this like invisible player And until we look more carefully at it and we track those behaviors and we track their correlation, right, the correlation between that leading indicator and the lagging indicator, that's when we start to see the patterns in what moves our donors forward. Well, another thing I really liked about your talk today, you talked about the cognitive behavior loop. I really like that. In fact, I kind of nerded out a little bit on your talk on that because I I love thinking about these things. And you talked about this cognitive behavior loop. And so my question to you and for my listeners is, How can we as nonprofit leaders and specifically fundraisers be better aware of our cognitive behavior loop so that we can improve our ability to effectively fundraise? Yeah. So, right, the cognitive behavior loop is this idea that our thoughts and our beliefs inform how we feel and then ultimately how we show up. And our feelings matter so much in fundraising. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is that you know, our, like our feelings are tied to essentially like our nervous system and how regulated our nervous system is. And when our nervous system is dysregulated, meaning we're in a stress state, we can't do things like connect with donors or show empathy or build real relationships. We aren't 
open to that level. Like connection is a biological experience, right? And it's like when we are open to connecting, we are letting ourselves be known. We're much more curious about the people that we're talking to. We're actually like co-regulating in ways. And when we're really stressed out, we're not open to that. We can go through the motions of that donor meeting, but we're really... Where we feel disingenuous a lot of the time, or we feel uncertain about the relationship. And so I think one of the, my big pieces around the cognitive behavior loop is let, let those emotions start to make you aware of some of the thoughts and beliefs that you're, that you're holding. Sometimes the emotional piece of that loop is like the easiest one to tap into. And maybe you can't even name that emotion, but you can say, this feels uncomfortable or something I noticed, I'm noticing resistance here. Or maybe you just notice that there are a bunch of two minute tasks that have sat on your to-do list for three weeks. There's some resistance there. How do you feel about them? Do they make you uncomfortable? And then you can wind it back and say, okay, why? What do I, what is my biggest fear? Because what happened was Part of how I discovered this in my coaching work was, you know, I was doing fundraising consulting and I would give a nonprofit leader tasks for the week, right? I'd say, okay, you're going to reach out to all these donors and whatever. I'd come back to the next meeting. They wouldn't have done it. And I would say, why didn't you do it? Oh, I didn't have time because I was focused on X, Y, and Z. And then we'd make the action easier to do. We'd make it even simpler. They'd come back the next week and they still wouldn't have done it. And so I'd coach them around it, like using, and I'd be like, okay, let's talk about really like when you went to go send that email, what was coming up for you then? Like, I can feel your resistance to sending it. Like, what if you send it on our call right now, right? And then what it always came back to time and time again was fear. And that they thought they were doing something wrong or they were second guessing something or they thought they weren't ready for blank or they weren't perfect enough for X or they weren't worthy of Y. And it was so easy to say, like, I don't have time for blank, right? It's so easy. Yes, we all have too many things on our plate, like 100%. But it's a very, that's a way to not address like the underlying issue because we make time for a lot of things. We make time for a lot of things. And there are a lot of very quick tasks that we never find the time for. And it's because they're scary. And so I think if we can start to acknowledge that and say like, this is uncomfortable, this makes me nervous, that actually makes total sense. But how do I start to address and understand the thoughts and the beliefs that are leading to that discomfort, recognize where I have choice in creating new thoughts and beliefs, and then that starts to ultimately change how we feel as fundraisers. Okay, my next guest is Brian Soy. Brian, thanks so much for being on the show today. Well, you had to talk about creating a culture of generosity. And you had some really interesting takeaways from your talk that you shared today. First of all, let me ask the question, how can fundraising be a brand strategy? So fundraising can be a brand strategy because it has to be part of the culture from the character standpoint and not as I've heard it referred to as a necessary evil. Right? Right. So... When we, when we make it actually part of our, our strategy, which is part of how are we going to win in the marketplace, it, it becomes a way for us to, to not only raise funds, but to connect with and grow donors. And there's, you know, there's, there's key things there. When you want to, the idea of growing donors, let's just say in the, the non-religious space, you know, is about helping develop their desire for generosity is, is a phrase I've used but it's also just helping them think of themselves as generous people. On the, the ministry side, it's a discipleship model. Very much a discipleship model 
And so we should be helping these people grow as good stewards of the monies God's given them. Another thing I really uh, took away from your talk was uh, the importance of aligning your impact with donors. And so let me ask it as a question for my listeners. Why is it so important to align impact with what a donor is hoping to give? You know, if somebody asks me to give something that I don't care about, why do I, well, one, why do I care? But two, why do I want to give? So it's really important to paint that picture of here's what your gift will accomplish if you choose to work with us. You know, does this sound like something that aligns with with your interests and your passions? And that's really what it comes down to is what people are passionate about. You know, Lisa and I are passionate about freedom. So we support, you know, Alliance Defending Freedom quite a bit. You know, we're compassionate. So we we support uh, Samaritan's Purse. You know, I'm interested in volunteering in the future. We have family members whose home was destroyed in a tornado. Good friend of mine is the CEO of Red Cross in Cleveland. And so I went to him like, this happened. I saw how the community mobilized. Someday, I want to be part of that. You know, and that's a volunt- that's giving of my time versus giving of my money, but both are very valuable to not only to the organizations, but to the people that um, those organizations serve. Something I'm asking all of my guests on the show today is based on a guest I had on the podcast a while ago. She talked about how you future-proof your fundraising. In other words, anticipating the issues that you may be facing in the future and planning now proactively of how you can future-proof your fundraising. So from your experience, you do this all the time. You do a lot of research in this arena. How best can you do that from your experience? So one of the things we heard about in regard to future-proofing fundraising today was this idea that you know, we're in a multi-generation time and generations, the way they think has shifted. I'm also a big fan of category design and there's a group called Category Pirates. They've identified there are two types of people now. There are native digitals and there are native analogs. So boomers are native analogs. We experience the world in real space. Native digitals experience the world through their digital devices. And then right now, there's 40 years of people who are hybrids. So I consider myself a hybrid. Um, We have to be, we have to future-proof. We have to think about who we're raising funds from now. But in 10 years, 20 years, who are we going to be raising funds from then? How are we nurturing those relationships now? Because it's a relationship. You start now for impact and results in the future. That's how you future-proof. Okay, I'm going to ask every one of my guests this last question. What are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector, in your opinion? The biggest challenge facing the nonprofit sector right now, I think, is this attention for time and attention. Just attention. Basically, we're in an attention economy. There are so many things fighting for our attention. And those, many of those things that fight for our attention also demand our money. And so... Nonprofits need to do two things, I think. One is be familiar to more people and then also be relatable. You, know, just not, you just don't show up. Actually, one of the best examples I've ever seen of raising money was from a guy standing on the side of the road and he was A-B testing. He had a sign that said, homeless, need help. And as he walked past the car, I looked at him and he had a, back to the sign that said, hungry, need help. So understanding what people are looking for and what they care about and more people now 
align their purchases, their decisions, and their donations with things they care about. So finding and understanding those opportunities, like I talked about earlier, what motivates them, what are their functional goals, their high-level goals, why they give, what they give to, and then just understanding what triggers the emotional response that they have and speaking to that. We'll be right back. Are you looking for an easy and effective way to boost your nonprofit's donations? Look no further than DonorBox, the online fundraising platform that streamlines your fundraising efforts, maximizes donations, and simplifies giving for your supporters. With DonorBox, you can create beautiful donation forms, accept digital wallet payments, track donations, and send auto receipts. And the best part? There are no setup or monthly fees and no long-term contracts required. So what are you waiting for? Visit DonorBox.org today to get started. That is www.donorbox.org. Well, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you will find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, including some from other countries, all trying to make their world better. And when you go to our website, you can also subscribe to my monthly leadership update in order to get more content, ask me questions, and join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community. Just look for the subscribe button, which is on the top right-hand side. It's a real easy process. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. All right, my next guest is Andrew Olson. Andrew, you're also a podcast host, you're an author, and you're also a rancher, which maybe we'll talk about on another podcast. So first of all, you're at this conference, Neo Summit, and what have you taken away so far? What have you most uh, enjoyed about the conference? You know, I was, I was talking to Tim Kaczuriak earlier today, and I said to him, I've been in this industry for 25 years. I've been to probably every conference. This is the first conference in a long time that I can say I've thoroughly enjoyed. It's a fantastic experience, and I love that it's not just the same regurgitated content that everybody else talks about. They've actually brought new insights, so I feel like I learned something today. Well, one of the talks I really enjoyed was about a donor's journey, and Tim Kachuriak, who was also on this podcast, he spoke about that today. So talk about that. Where do nonprofits most often get it wrong when it comes to their donor's journey? Yeah, I think there's probably two places. So the, the first one is they, they, a lot of organizations want to embrace the donor journey, but they want it to fit their own timeline, right? So, so often organizations say, yes, I want to do this. I want to have build a beautiful donor journey as long as the donors give what I need by the time my fiscal year ends, right? (laughs) And when we force that, you might get cash this year. You're not going to get it next year, right? And so I think that's one of the biggest places where they do it. The other one is I think a lot of organizations, and I think this comes from boards and and probably CFOs for the most part, a lot of organizations struggle with the idea of embedding in the donor journey things that don't raise money immediately, right? So if you have a touch point in the donor journey that is purely a relationship building touch point, a lot of organizations will say, oh, let's nix that because it's not going to generate revenue. When what they don't know is that it actually contributes significantly to lifting total revenue within the next 12 months, right? or retaining more donors, or building a better relationship so that you can upgrade givers. So I, I think those two areas, like that's when we try to mess with the journey to make it do what we want immediately, when if you just let it play out, it'll actually raise you a lot more money over time. 
Now, generosity is linked with a donor's participation. So my question for you is, how can nonprofits improve their donor's participation to increase their giving? Yeah, we actually say something at Dickerson Baker that, that we believe so firmly, and, and that is that relationship changes everything, right? And so when we think about how do we improve this, I, I think if we double down on relationship and we, we focus less on our immediate wants and needs, which is tough, right? Because this is a resource-strapped industry, right? And where we're literally like clawing, you know, day by day to, to make it to the next month to make payroll for many organizations, right? But if, if we will invest in the relationship and allow the relationship to develop before we move immediately into an ask, like organizations that do that well raise so much more money and they also retain their best donors for a lot longer than those who just go after like quick wins. Okay, I'm going to ask every one of my guests this last question. What are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector, in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's a couple of really big things that, that they're facing today. One is, and this is not a new thing, right? One is risk aversion. So there are, we, we, are, we are about achieving massive and important missions but we are so risk averse, right? So organizations and, and fundraisers and program officers are scared to death to screw anything up, right? Because they've been conditioned that like, if you mess this up and we don't raise as much money or we don't, we're not as effective tomorrow, you're a failure, right? And, and whereas if you look at the commercial world, we, will, we would put risk capital on the market all the time to see what happens. Right? And to say, okay, well, we didn't win this, but we learned that and we can use that to leverage something else. Right? And so there's such a risk aversion. That I think that's a big one. Another one that we see, we just did a study on, on how fundraisers and C-suite executives in the sector see the world. And there is such a disconnect between the two groups. And I think one of the biggest risks right now is that there's probably a lot of organizations where people are talking at each other, but no one's talking with each other. And, and where, where that really breaks down is organizations are making bad decisions because one group thinks one thing, one thinks another, and no one's actually had communication to, to fed out like what the reality is, right? So I think that's a big one. And the last is if organizations aren't paying attention to high net worth donors, they're going to have a real problem. I, I believe what Tim and Jeff and everybody said here today, which was like, we have to democratize giving and, and find ways to engage more people. And in the long term, I agree with that. But in the short term, mid-level and major donors are going to fund organizations for the near future. And if we're not focused on how do, we, how do we serve them well so that we keep them engaged, we're going to fail. Well, Andrew, so good having you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Hey, man, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. All right. My last guest on the podcast here coming live from the Neo Summit is Gabe Cooper. Gabe, you've been on the show. It's been a while. It's been a couple of years, but it's great to have you back on the show. So Gabe, first of all, talk about what do you hope people take away from this conference? That's a great question. I love NEO. This is one of the best conferences, not the best in the nonprofit space, mostly because of the sophistication. So like it's a room full of very sophisticated nonprofit marketers that are really leaning into building better personal relationships with donors. And so for me, it's like this spirit of, hey, let's experiment. Let's try new things. Let's have a hypothesis and test it all with this desire of, can we be more personal with donors? Can we understand what they want, have a more donor-centric mindset and drive generosity? So, and this, I mean, 
honestly, that's all the conversations in the room this week, which is great. We had to talk about the culture of generosity and how to create it. So my question for you is how do you, what from your experience, those nonprofits that really do create that culture of generosity, what about those organizations did they get right when it comes to creating that culture of generosity? Yeah, a great question. I think number one is that if, if the idea of generosity is bigger than money and it's bigger than the fundraising team. So by that, I mean, if you think about generosity as our, the thing our fundraising team does, like that's wrong. Generosity is fundamental to what you do as a nonprofit. When people give their time, talent, social capital to you, it's just like you're giving to others on the program side. It's fundamental to what you do. So when I see nonprofits that have their program team calling donors to say thank you, when I see nonprofits giving their donors opportunity to be very close to the front lines of the work, when I see that wall coming down between donors and the cause, like I know that a nonprofit is starting to get like, hey, this isn't a fundraising team activity. This is an all of us activity. But I, I don't know. I always go back to, man, if you have people on your fundraising or your program team calling donors, it says something special about how you've done this well at your organization. The other part of it, though, is like a lot of people think about generosity as just a check. And yeah, money is a big part of it. But really, it's an attitude. It's how we think about our time, our calendar, how we're sacrificially giving our, our talent, our social capital, our networks away to those around us. And so you're, as a nonprofit, you're never going to be able to inspire generosity outside of your organization unless you can practice generosity holistic with holistically within your organization. And so I start, I think it starts with that culture of like, it's not just a check. I have to give to other people on my team. I have to give them myself. And then it inspires generosity out. Another topic we've talked about quite a bit is how to create a good donor journey. And so my question for you today is where do nonprofits typically get it wrong and how best can you create a really good donor journey? Yeah, I, probably the biggest issue we see is that the teams are in silos. So marketing doesn't talk to fundraising, doesn't talk to fundraising. Uh, program, but I think uh, the data is in silos. And so I tell nonprofits all the time, when a donor gives a first gift, you should send a new donor welcome series that thanks them based on how they came in the organization, if they came through an event or they gave to a particular project. And that new donor welcome series should include, you know, maybe a text message, a couple of emails, probably a postcard, and maybe a call from somebody on your team. Well, if your databases that hold that information do not talk to each other, and the teams that are supposed to do those activities don't talk to each other, your donor is going to have a very disconnected experience because you have no idea when they're going to get a postcard or if they are. Your postcard guy doesn't know if they just got two emails the day before. I mean, it's just a very disjointed, friction-filled experience for your donors if those silos exist within your organization between teams and data. You know, a question that I've asked every single one of my guests here on the show for this particular episode is a reference to a podcast guest I had a while ago, and she talked about future-proofing your fundraising. So my question for you is, with all your research, how best can nonprofits really future-proof their fundraising for their organization? Yeah, it's, it really is two things for me. It's predictability in team and predictability in revenue. So on the predictability in team as a nonprofit, I have to attract and retain great talent. Part of the thing is, especially with fundraising teams, you see high levels of turnover. There's somebody new in the seat every couple of years, and it's really hard to build a sustainable program. So that really means focusing on the culture of your organization and creating a place where people want to be for the long haul. 
your new people should see this as at least a 10-year journey with your organization. And that resiliency and, and retaining smart people actually creates organizational resiliency and not as much sort of loss of institutional knowledge and momentum. So revenue resiliency is like a lot of nonprofits, especially over the last decade, have become more dependent on major gifts. Major gifts are awesome for a brand new project or brand new program to launch. They're not good at creating predictable, sustainable revenue over long. It's too lumpy. You don't know if it's going to come in or not. And you can't plan and forecast a long-term mission. And so on the revenue side, it really is understanding how do I build loyal, lasting relationships with my everyday donors. And so I have this base of like, you know, you can think about them as subscription donors. I know Dave Raley is at this conference, always talks about the subscription economy. And so it's like, how do I build for my, my long-term funding, you know, an army of loyal $100 a month folks, and it creates economic resiliency and viability over the long haul. Now, I've asked my guests, each one of them, this last question. So I'm going to ask you two, what are the biggest challenges facing the nonprofit sector today? Yeah, gosh, in the, la- <laughs> in the, last, in the last four years, yeah. It was like the world stopped with COVID, event stops, and then fundraising takes off and there's a ton of tailwinds. And now we're back to like massive headwinds. Again, it's just like whiplash for everyone in the industry. And so I like, rather than focus on like the crazy black swan events in the last couple of years, I mean, I really do think over the last 15 years, it's that loss of everyday donors. If you look at the data, the data tells us that even though giving isn't going down as a percentage of GDP, what is going down is the number of people who who give to nonprofits, like everyday donors, like that sort of base of, of you think about sort of this American spirit of generosity that exists in the middle of class, we see that shrinking and that's incredibly concerning, right? And it's concerning because not just because those people would be your major givers one day, but it represents that uh, people aren't seeing charities as a trusted place to create impact in the world. And I hate, like that is a, a bad day. And so I think for nonprofits, like, yes, we have to deal with the, like, whatever economic crisis we find ourselves in today. But really over the long haul, it's, we need, we, yes, we, we love major gifts, but at the same time, man, I want to inspire generosity among the middle-class everyday donors in this country. And I want to see that base grow. I don't want to see that trend turn downward anymore. Well, Gabe, thanks so much for being on the show. Appreciate you taking time to be on the show today. Thank you. Hey, friends. Well, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and wherever you listen to other podcasts. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will actually help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. You can also join the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast community, find other resources and interviews of past guests all on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Well, thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better. This podcast is sponsored by DonorBox. DonorBox, helping you help others with the best donation forms in the business.